That was that QR code for digital uh, notes for you. The heat is working, at least from my perspective. All right, God's righteous acts. We are to worship God for his righteous acts. So Revelation 14, turning your Bibles there this morning, verse 14 is where we will begin, um, and we're going to cover 14 through 20, and then chapter 15 today, preparing us for Revelation 16, which is the pouring out of the bowls of wrath on the earth. Now, have you ever been challenged by what God does or does not do? Let's be honest, yes. We've all been challenged by that. And most of us in those challenging moments have a moment, some longer than others, where we think that we have a better idea, right? And if we had it our way, we would do it this way, right? Ever have something hard come into your life and you're like, this isn't fair, this isn't right, why do I have this going on? Uh, come on. Yeah, we all have that, right? And your challenge for us today is that God is in working through everything to redeem everything in our lives. And are we going to worship him for what he is doing in our lives? I always think of the cross. The cross, it's horrific. Do you realize how horrific the cross is? crucifixion. It's like death by asphyxiation after being tortured. That's what, it, and it's slow. Sometimes it would take days, right? It's terrible. And an innocent man was hanging on that cross, Jesus. That's what he used to bring salvation to the world. Now, I want you to think of the thing that you have in your life right now that is not any fun. You got it? I got it. In my mind, there's actually a couple different things in my life, right? And I, I, and I know that I can say with confidence, and you can claim this truth of God's eternal word today, he is using that for his glory and your eternal good. That's the reality. And so your challenge today, my challenge to myself today, is to worship God for his righteous acts. We are called to worship God for his righteous acts. That's what we're called to do. Now, I want to make sure we understand, all God's acts are, I couldn't hear you, all God's acts are righteous. There is no unrighteous acts of God. So I can't pick and choose. I worship God for his righteous acts. Heather, can you turn the monitor off? Or oh, something's buzzing. I don't know what it is. I don't need to be in the monitor, but I just hear a buzz and it's... Perfect. Gone. Thank you. So the next two Sundays, we are going to be taking a look at God's righteous judgment, his actions. 
This is going to be difficult in many ways. It's going to be challenging. It's going to challenge our perspectives. Even today, it's going to be challenging as we go through these texts. So I want us to make a decision right now together to worship him for his righteous actions. Will you guys do that with me? We're going to choose to worship God for his righteous actions. And even in that one situation, all, all those multiple situations that you're in right now, will you choose with me to worship him for his righteous actions of redemption, walking in your problem? Amen. Verse 14 of Revelation 14 says, then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his head. Now, this isn't the grim reaper. I mean, that's what I hear, sickle. That's what I think, grim reaper. But, but maybe this is some of the idea where we get the idea of grim reaper. I'm not sure. I haven't done an uh, etymology study of the grim reaper. But here we have... Uh, angel or Jesus seated on a cloud with a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. So to reap means to gather in, to, to bring it all in, right? Uh, Hillsons are out there reaping the harvest right now, and that's why they're not here this morning. They're getting all their corn in, right? Praise the Lord that they're able to get it in. And all, a lot of other farmers have been reaping. We've been watching reaping all, well, since the beginning of October pretty much, right? I noticed the, the, the fields around Mike and Cindy are all harvested. Uh, my bean field is all, that's Roger's field, but I call it mine. The field by my house is all harvested. I can see the silos now because all the reaping has happened. Here Jesus, in my opinion, Jesus reaps, or an angel reaps the earth, right? So what are the Old Testament allusions for this passage? And there, there are a few, but the first allusion is Daniel 7, 13 through 14, and this is it. It says, I saw in the night visions, Daniel, saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. So what's this angel? Is in a cloud, right? He's sitting on the cloud, and it's one like a son of man. So here we go. have this Old Testament illusion here. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Oh, yeah. Who here has confessed Jesus as Lord? If you've confessed Jesus as Lord, guess what? You're part of the kingdom of the kingdom of Jesus. And his kingdom, what's it say? Shall not pass away. Every earthly kingdom has, at some point, passed away. America, I, I hate to say it, but America, though I love my country and I love uh, the Constitution and what it stands for, it will not last forever. 
there's only one kingdom that will last forever, and that's Jesus' kingdom, right? This passage speaks of Jesus in the clouds and like a son of man. This Daniel 7 passage, he's in the clouds, coming in the clouds like the son of man, and his kingdom will reign forever. There's a significant amount of debate as whether as to whether this is Jesus himself in Revelation 14, 14, or an angel who is representing him. Uh, about that much pages of it, like you could read for a long time. I did. I read them all. Still can't totally decide because <laughs> they both have some good arguments. If you hold to a mid- or post-tribulation rapture, view, okay, that the church is taken away in the middle of the tribulation period, or, so this is all within the futurist view, okay, or a post-tribulation, the church is taken away at the end of the rapture, uh, depending on where you place this vision, so if you're mid-trib, you're going to place it towards the middle of, obviously, the tribulation, if you're post-trib, you'll place it towards the end, um, but you will see two harvests here, one for the elect, that fourth one that we just went through, and one for judgment of the world. They draw this idea from Jesus when he's talking about in the gospel about the harvest of the elect and the, uh, the wheat and the tares being gathered together at the same time and then divided out. That's where they draw that from. But I think John is indicating that God is executing his judgment on the earth through the analogy of reaping and a harvest. And in other words, I think this first one that we just went through about the, guy, the angel uh, sweeping his sickle over the earth is uh, the prelude and prepping us for the unpacking of the whole earth being reaped for the great winepress of God's wrath. So he's executing his judgment on the earth through the analogy of reaping and harvest. It reminds me of Galatians 6, 7, uh, which really applies to the unbeliever, right? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap, okay? Now, well, we all here live in an agricultural community. We know when you put soybean in the ground, you get soybeans. When you put corn seeds in the ground, you get corn. When you put tomatoes in the ground, you get tomatoes. When you put a watermelon in the ground, Maybe you'll get watermelon. <laughs> but typically, the seed produces a plant, right, that then produces, so what you sow in the ground is what you, what you get. So if you sow belief, what do you get? Eternal life. If you sow rebellion and you sow rejection of what God has said, then what do you get? judgment. So this brings us to the second allusion of the, in the Old Testament, which is reaping the harvest as judgment. And I think, the reason I think this is all judgment is these Old Testament passages. Because in Joel 3, it's all about the judgment of the day of the Lord and the reaping of that judgment. It says, let the nations stir themselves up and come play of Jehoshaphat which is an analogy for that, the Jezreel Valley, uh, where the 
where they gathered the valley of Armageddon or the area of Armageddon, Armageddon. It's a fortress that sits at the end of the valley of Jezreel to keep forces from coming where? To the city of Jerusalem. So this is a battle for Jerusalem, and they gather in the Jezreel Valley, okay? And this Valley of Jehoshaphat is symbolic of that. And it, got, and it says, for there I, God, Yahweh, will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in a sickle. Oh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? The harvest is ripe. Oh, that sounds familiar as well. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun, the moon are darkened, and the stars withhold their shining. The Lord arose from where? From Zion, from Jerusalem. He utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. If you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you are part of the people of God. He is a refuge to you. He is a refuge to you in the day of judgment. He is a refuge to you in a broken world. This reaping then takes place at the culmination wall of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord really ends with you know, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven and, and eternity being set up. That, I mean, that's really that day. That's the end. But this day of the Lord, it has a culmination war. We call it the Battle of Armageddon. It's a really a battle for Jerusalem. They're gathering in the Valley of Jezreel. Um, and it's named for that fort that sits Armageddon at the end of the Valley of Jezreel. You see, in that war... Jesus returns and defeats evil and chaos once and for all. You can read about that in Revelation 11 through 21. He comes riding on not a donkey like he did the first time, but a white horse. Right? And he, vic- he conquers with the word of his mouth. Speaks the word. Worship Yahweh for his righteous act of reaping the harvest of the earth. We worship him for what he is going to do. And we worship him for what he is doing. Revelation 14, 17 says, Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, and the angel who had the authority over fire, and he, that's kind of interesting phrase there, right? We'll talk about that later. And he called with a loud voice to the one who said on the sharp, had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So why does John define the angel in verse 18 as having authority over fire? What, what does that matter? Well, if you want to know that question, <laughs> answer to that question, we're going to explore that this coming Wednesday. So you can uh, either come Wednesday night 
or watch online or watch it later, but it'll be there uh, available for you. Why choose the harvest of grapes? Right? Why? Why? Well, grapes, juice, or wine represents blood. We are familiar with this analogy through what? Communion. We take communion once a month here at Paw Paw Bible Church to remember what Christ has done for us. And I'm so glad for that analogy, aren't you? Are you glad for the shed blood of Christ on the cross that washes you from all your sin? Right? I'm so glad. Right? Wine also, though, represents God's wrath. Strong wine. Like non-diluted wine. You know, everybody in the ancient days, they drank wine. Okay? Everybody did. Because water source was unpredictable. But they did not drink strong wine. Strong wine is a mocker. It makes you drunk. Drunkenness for biblical, for, for the Bible is not good. So the day-to-day person who was responsible would dilute their wine. And guess what the alcohol did to the bad things in the water? It killed them. So then they had good wine. That's why Paul tells Timothy, have a little wine with your meal for your stomach's sake. Don't just drink straight water. It's making you sick. You have parasites. Trust me, I of all people know how devastating parasites can be to the body. But strong wine uh, also represents God's wrath. Let's look at Psalm 75, 8. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. You know, you don't want to drink dregs. Once in a while I get dregs in my coffee. I just know fun. Ugh, right? But... This is God's wrath being poured out down to the dregs. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, said to me, take from my hand this cup of wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. So wine is a symbol not only for the blood of Christ shed on the cross for us to inaugurate a new covenant for us by his blood, but it also is a symbol for the wrath of God poured out upon the nations. And that they must drink it in full, down to the dregs. I am so glad. I am so glad we drink the wine representing the blood of the new covenant. Aren't you? That we've confessed Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. Thus we are saved and we walk in relationship with Jesus. Amen? Amen. So here, though, those who oppose God drink the wine of his wrath. Don't want to be those who oppose God. We don't want to be against God, right? So may we worship him for his righteous acts. Right? Revelation 14, 19 through 20 says, So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grapes of the harvest and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. 
and the winepress was trodden outside the city, and the blood flowed from the winepress as high as the horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia, or 184 miles in uh, English measurement. Actually, English, well, okay, you know what I mean. England, I think, does kilometers, so that's an American measurement. There you go. Joel 13, 3, 13 says, put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the wine vat press is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Right? Revelation 19, 15 says, from his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword, with which he, to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread of, tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Now this is Jesus here, right? And he's treading that winepress. A winepress was a basin carved out of stone, usually on a hillside. They would carve one area and they would carve it down in the stone. And then uh, it was pretty big. And then they would carve lower a vat, a basin, to catch all the Jews as the grapes were trodden down and crushed. Now, you've seen videos on how they make Rome, uh, wine uh, in Rome, even today, right? Where they, get, they take off their shoes and they roll up their pants and they get in there with their fungi. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, that, I hear that wine tastes really good, but... They, they tread the wine down, right? They stomp it down. And as they stomp it down, of course, I'm sure that they have specific clothes they wear because as they tread that wine, it does not stay down there, right? It gets on them. And here we have God's wine press is the battle outside the city of Jerusalem, okay? And it's being trodden down and... There is this symbol of blood and gore, and it's gory, right? Nasty. So are the dimensions of the flow of blood to be taken literally, or is it symbolic of something else? Now, the dispensationalist who likes to take things as literally as possible might go into the case of it was literal. Um, but there is some issues with that because uh, 1,600 stadia is 184 miles. And to the horse's bridle for the average-sized horse is five foot deep. You see how there might be some hyperbole here? <laughs> right? This seems unlikely unless you consider it the five foot deep as the splatter of gore. Right? And then if, if you're taking it literally and it, it is the splatter of gore, then it can't just be uh, from Jerusalem up to Tyre, or up to the northern Israel, because 184 miles is the approximate distance from Tyre, north of Israel, to south of Israel on the border of Egypt. So these numbers could be representing the battle was in the entirety of Israel. Now, if you like math, I'm not a good at math, so that's why there's a, a quotation mark up there, because I don't do math. But if you like math, then you're going to like this answer. The number, 1,600, is the multiple of the square of 4 and 10. I don't even know how to understand that, but there it is. I do know 4 and 10 
of figurative completeness in the book of Revelation. The figurative numbers for being complete. So it could therefore be a figurative number for complete worldwide judgment. More math. The number also could well have been thought as the square of 40, a traditional number of punishment in scripture and apocrypha writings. So however we interpret this, it, I- it does communicate the severity and totality of God's wrath. I like the last two, to be honest, but that's okay. It's not a die, hill to die on interpretation. <laughs> May we worship God for his righteous acts. That sin will be dealt with. That goodness, the world, will be renewed and restored. Revelation 15, 1, then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. We've been doing a lot of God's wrath these last couple weeks because we're in Revelation. And Revelation is about God pouring his wrath out on the world that rejected the Messiah. And it's actually the lamb, worthy is the lamb, to what? Open the seals. And and the gospel is continued to be proclaimed and preached throughout Revelation, but the world's inhabitants continue to say, what? No, thank you. No, thank you. They, they, They kick the gift horse in the mouth, right? So this is the third sign in heaven. The other two signs are in Revelation 12 concerning the woman Israel and the woman Israel and the dragon Satan. This sign introduces the last of God's judgment on earth. The wrath of God is finished with these plagues, with these bulls. The idea of finished, finished, telos in the Greek brings my mind to John 19:40. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, "It is finished." And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What is finished? The wrath of God poured out upon Jesus on the cross is finished. You see, there's two ways God's wrath gets satisfied. One is the cross, and it's a free gift to whoever believes. That's good news. The other is on the earth of those who do not receive the free gift. And for them, that's really bad news. But for us, who are part of the kingdom of God, it's really good news. Because that means this brokenness that we live in is going to be taken away. This sick earth that we live on is going to be restored. 
the, the broken veil between heaven and earth that's been severed is going to be new renewed. And we will live in a new heaven and in a new earth for all eternity with God. And with each other. I know that's harder, but it will be. Here the wrath of God was finished for all who believe in Jesus. For God's wrath was poured out on Jesus on the cross. Yet for those who do not believe, John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Believe. Believe in Jesus. Respond to his work in your life. We believe, amen, and we worship God for all his righteous acts. Will you believe, and will you worship? Revelation 15.2 says, And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with hearts of God in their hands. The victorious stand beside the sea of glass, which we know is in the throne room of God from Revelation 4, 6, right? They're victorious. They have conquered. They've conquered by the blood of the Lamb. And so we can say with them, victory in Jesus, right? My Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. We know we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. More than conquerors through what Christ has done. That's only how we conquer, church. We don't conquer any other way. Our bootstraps won't pull it off ever, ever, ever. Only by Jesus' blood do we conquer. So why is John picking out the sea of glass mingled with fire as the planning setting for this scene? Possibly, John is calling his readers to remember the parting of the Red Sea. Well, God delivered Israel from Egypt. He also delivered these saints from the beast and his ways. Both Egypt and Babylon carry with them the imagery of the beast from the sea of Revelation 13. If you want to explore that more, you could do a word study on Rahab and Leviathan and listen to the last two Wednesday night studies on Behemoth and Leviathan. You would find it fascinating. If you don't know how to do a word study, I would be more than delighted to show you how to do that. And with technology today, word studies are easy. Think of this. The saints are worshiping God at the th- around the throne and the sea of glass, and we join the saints of heaven and worship God for his righteous acts. Revelation 15, 3 through 4 says, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So there are two candidates for the song of Moses. 
Exodus 15, 1 through 18, Deuteronomy 32, 1 through 43. Both of these songs are in agreement with what the, song, what the saints are singing in this passage. And I would encourage you, go read those two songs because they extol and worship God for who he is. The saints aren't just singing about God's righteous acts through Moses. They are also singing of the song of the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Amen? To receive glory and honor. This song of worship is focused solely on God's power and works. In our lives, we need to discipline ourselves to focus on God rather than ourselves. It, it, it comes automatic for us to focus on us, right? Here we have an example of exalting God for who he is rather than what he's done for us. Not that it's wrong to exalt God what he's done for us, but sometimes we just need to exalt God for who he is. God's works are great, amazing, just, true, and righteous. Do we believe that? Do we believe that in the problem that you're in right now, navigating through, do you believe that he is working and acting in that issue? And will you worship him? In the presence of my enemies, right? I raise a hallelujah. Yahweh is God Almighty, King of the nations, alone holy, worthy of all glory. Do we believe this? Will we worship him for who he is, fearing him and giving him all the glory? After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness was opened. And out of the sanctuary came seven angels with seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chest. The next vision is of the sanctuary of the tent of witness. John is calling his readers back to Exodus 38 and 39 where it talks about the building of the tabernacle. And with this language, we know the tabernacle was a copy of the heavenly one as seen in Hebrews 8.5. The temple served as a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See to it that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. The theme of the tabernacle continued garments of the angels, picking up on the idea of the garments of the priest of Exodus 39, who were serving in the tabernacle as these angels are serving in heaven's tabernacle. Their clothes pure bright from being are pure and bright from being in the presence of Yahweh most holy. May we worship Yahweh most holy. Amen? Revelation 15 7 says, And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Verse 8, And the sanctuary was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. The seven angels were given seven bowls of wrath of the eternal God. We will see these bowls of wrath poured out in judgment on the earth in Revelation 16. And may we worship God for his righteous acts. 
as we go through this week, may we discipline ourselves to worship God in our problems, in our issues, because he is acting and walking in them for his good, for his glory, and our eternal good. The theme of the tabernacle continues in verse 8 with God's the glory of God, calling the reader back to Exodus 40, 34 through 35. Then the cloud covering the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Church, we worship Yahweh Almighty, worthy of all glory and honor. Today and in the coming weeks, may we worship him in spirit and truth for his righteous acts. Worship Yahweh Almighty.